Hey, my friends, welcome to Real Live Talk, and thanks so much for joining me for this episode. For this episode, I sat down with Dr. Joseph Caps, who is the Command Chaplain and Chief Psychological Officer of the VDF Chaplain Corps Psychological Resources Program. He owns and operates Caps Christian Counseling, LLC, and is also a certified QPR gatekeeper suicide prevention instructor. He's been working with veterans, military, and first responders for more than a decade and has extensive experience working with trauma. PTSD, PTS, cumulative stress, complex trauma, as well as crisis and abuse counseling. I was truly blown away by Dr. Joe's knowledgeability and the insight he shared, but I was also really moved by his level of commitment to see people that have experienced trauma, abuse, post-traumatic stress, and other mental health issues to really, truly experience freedom and healing. This conversation was really eye-opening for me. We talked about the mental health implications of COVID, lockdowns, and fear. We also discussed suicidality and how we can all make a difference in the lives of people in crisis, learning to empathize with people in our lives that are going through things that we don't understand, and more. Um, There's definitely something in this conversation for every single person, and uh, I hope that you'll stay tuned and listen all the way to the end. Dr. Joe, uh, this was actually, he told me that this was his first podcast ever, but you would never know it. Um, He's an incredible guest, and it was really an honor for me to sit down with Dr. Joseph Caps. And uh, now, thank you guys so much for being here to check out this episode. I pray that it blesses you, maybe challenges you to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit as it did for me. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's jump into it. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Uh, well, Dr. Joseph Caps, thank you so much for joining me for uh, this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm really excited that you're here. I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation with you. And just on a personal level, I'm uh, I'm just super honored that you agreed to do this with me. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. And uh, I'm uh, I'm excited to get into some stuff. And I would love it if you would um, just sort of at the beginning here, just share just a little bit about maybe in overview form, we'll get into some specifics as we go forward, but maybe just an overview of some of the stuff that you're involved in. Uh, well, I, I've been in private practice since uh, 2009. Um, I do not do that as a, as a living per se. <clears throat> One of the things in my own personal experience that I have found is that the system is definitely broken and it's broken mm. for a lot of reasons. <clears throat> One of those is client care so i have found uh, that one or two clients maximum of four at a time i can be devoted to those clients i think that that's critical Um, also with the faith-based principles behind my counseling uh, i want to be fluid just like mental health is fluid Um, we cannot dictate crisis we cannot dictate trauma it happens Uh, we need to be available Um, There's a lot of reasons why the system, it's well-meaning, but it doesn't work. Um, Wow. So that's that's one of the things that I do. I'm also heavily involved in chaplaincy, uh, not only uh, with the reserve component for the National Guard, but also with uh, a lot of first responder agencies. Uh, So that coins the term of our project called Project Paladin. And basically uh, what we've done is engineered a program for the Paladin community. And, and so you ask, what is the Paladin community? Well, it's basically your, your first line folks, uh, military, first responders, corrections, doctors, nurses, you know, those that 
basically run towards the bad stuff, uh, wow. you know, instead of running away. Uh, you know, it's quite interesting if we look statistically, it's about 2.7% of the population of the United States, which is amazing. And that's counting your military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, corrections, doctors, nurses, dispatch. And uh, I even threw in security uh, and first line clergy in that as far as the numbers. And it's still only about 2.7%. Really? Only 2.7%? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so it shows you the we society is literally standing at the edge of a cliff. Wow. Um, and, you know, uh, right now, especially I feel for our law enforcement community because of the stigma uh, that they deal with on a daily basis uh, with yeah. media portrayal and everything else. And, uh, you know, I like to say that we're basically a baby step away from complete and total chaos. And uh, I don't think that we understand that. Uh, that there's men and women out there that uh, my theory, you know, I can't prove it, but my theory is that God crafted the Paladin community. Uh, mm. and, and that's part of uh, what I do with Project Paladin as we look at birth up and how did we develop and how did we turn into who we are. Uh, and that's half the battle is understanding who we are as Paladins uh, you have to understand who you are. You have to understand that God crafted you with, with his own hands uh, to be who you are. And that's going to be your first step to realizing hope and healing uh, based on the trauma that you've been encountering for years and years, most of us. Wow. And, uh, and, and Joe, I, I know that you're not a big fan of talking um, about yourself, but no. <laughs> but I do but <laughs> but I do I do think that it will be helpful um, in this circumstance for people that um, might be listening to this, either following with us live or listening later on, to to have an idea of some of your credentials. So I would appreciate it. I know it's not your favorite thing in the world to do, <laughs> but I, but sure. I'd appreciate it uh, just for the sake of anybody listening. If you could share a little bit of um, of your credentials and a little bit of your background as well. Okay, um, I like to say at this point that my most important credential um, is I've lived it. Um, mm. a history of some pretty severe childhood abuse to start with. Um, then was, you know, a, a veteran, uh, combat vet, and then uh, came back and was still having issues. And then 9-11 uh, happened and I jumped right back into the reserve for the guard uh, because I wanted to serve. Uh, but but really, I truly think that the number one uh, credential uh, is the many years that I suffered myself uh, going through a broken system through the VA and other things. Uh, and coming out ahead of that, uh, and I owe it all to the Lord. I'm not going to, you know, I have had some great counselors, thank God, and uh, some people that God put in my life to help intervene. But but truly, that is the number one credential, I believe, to do what I do is that I can sit with a person and truly sit with them uh, and understand mm -hmm. what they're going through uh, from, from a personal, intimate uh, point of view. Uh, as far as uh, what I like to call, uh, it's a joke, but I like to call it toilet paper because really um, God is the one who qualifies us. You know, he does not call the qualified. He he qualifies the called. Uh, I truly yeah. believe that. Um, but man's law and the stigma and everything else, they like to see paperwork. Um, mm. So I actually started off uh, 
as a pastor, I got my bachelor's in pastoral ministry, was an associate pastor, um, found out the hard way that I was very empathic. Um, and that was tough. Uh, it took me a couple of years to really learn how to draw up some boundaries because it was, it can consume you. Uh, and that's where compassion fatigue and things like that come into play. So as I'm doing that and I'm doing all of this pastoral care, uh, you know, which uh, this is God, right? You know, the senior pastor, he, he's like, okay, I can preach, I can teach, I can do all of these things, but man, I hate that pastoral care stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I was doing all of the pastoral care, um, you know, the crisis, the trauma, uh, you know, all the all the nasty stuff, you know, domestic yeah. situations, um, kids uh, either attempting suicide or, or completing suicide, you know, just just terrible, dark things, you know, that the devil uses to destroy us. Um, and so as I'm doing that, I'm like, you know what, um, I better get further educated, Um during that time, I had already been working on a master's and then a doctorate in Christian education because I really liked teaching as well. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to be the best teacher I can be. And uh, part of childhood abuse, a lot of times we become what's called an overachiever. So I want to say my first degree was 100% overachieving. You know, I wasn't happy with the bachelor's wow. and I just kept going and going and going. Uh, so the first degree... Uh, I'm going to say was probably more for me, like I was trying to prove something. Then when I got into taking some counseling courses and some psychology, God did this dual fold thing with me. Not only was he showing me myself and what I needed to fix with me and my issues, but he was trying to convey to me that, look, as you heal and learn, we're going to turn your pain into purpose. And like I said, it took about 10 years for me to get through that degree very slowly and arduously. And uh, of course, Satan is fighting you the entire way. You know, he's trying to make it as difficult as possible. Sure. So the so the second PhD is and it's called clinical pastoral counseling. So basically it is a clinical psychology degree, but with the overtones of theology, uh, which, you know, the covenant I made with the Lord was that I'm never going to use this as a way to uh, better myself financially or any of those things. You know, if you bless me, you bless me, but it's never going to be for that reason. Um, mm. Because I want, I, I truly believe, uh, even if you just look at the secular part of things, you know, your ethical standards uh, for licensure is very one, first one is do no harm. And so right. I'm looking at this system that means well and you've got so many conflicting things. Uh, we look at the DSM, which is now on version five, and, you know, eventually they'll get it right, right? You know, basically they can't fit you in a box, so we better write another bo uh, another version. Hmm. But, you know, in the DSM, it's saying just about for every disorder that it's six months to a year of repeated behaviors with not just a therapist, but with a psychiatrist, a MD, your family doctor, lots of people need to be involved to really put a diagnosis on you. So you okay. go and you take insurance, uh, you know, as a licensed therapist. And the very first thing they make you do when you take insurance from day one is you have to have an access diagnosis. So immediately I knew I wasn't going to take insurance because that's hmm. a complete and total contrast it, ethically for me. Um, I mm -hmm. know people do it and they have to earn a living and 
that's God's place to to judge what they do. Uh, but for me personally, I couldn't do that. It was a major uh, moral and ethical problem for me to uh, try to diagnose someone uh, that soon without getting all of the other criteria that go into place. You know, are you sleeping? Are you, you know, do you have proper nutrition? Is mm-hmm. this uh, uh, a recent trauma? Is this situational? Does this have to do uh, with the season, the time of year? You know, are you grieving? There, there's so many variables yeah. there. Um, and then, of course, uh, from a Christian point of view, I believe 100% that we're also dealing with spiritual warfare, uh, which is way more powerful than any medication or therapy yeah. out there. Uh, so we, we have to come at this in the right way. We have to look at the physiological things we have to look at the situational, the environmental, uh, and then we also have to look at the fact that are you being oppressed uh, by the devil and his demons? I, I truly believe that's part of it. Uh, so uh, some uh, other credentialing there. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like I'm going to uh, – I don't want to forget to come back to this. How, how much of, of this – you know, when we talk about um, – mental health issues, whether we're dealing with PTSD or we're talking about um, depression or anxiety, um, you know, suicidal thoughts and tendencies and things of that nature, whatever it is that we're talking about, how much of it, I'm not, I don't mean in in terms of percentages, but um, in your opinion, with your experience, with what you've seen, how, how big do you think that connection is? Because I know we talk about chemical imbalances and we talk about all of these different things. How much of it do you think is that? Um, and how much of it do you think is demonically rooted? My theory, I, 100%, yeah. is that I believe that there is 100% demonic oppression. Uh, with every case, I, I believe that there is some level of spiritual warfare going on. Um, just to give some background, you know, uh, you were asking about credentialing. Another thing is uh, mm-hmm. I'm on the Academy of Experts uh, and Traumatic Stress. And one of the things I did to gain diplomat status was actual study uh, on, on my personal theory, which involves the baseline. Uh, so I believe that we were created in God's image, but we were created in his image before sin came. So there's no flaw in God's design. Okay. He right. made us exactly how we're supposed to be, but our brains and our bodies are not designed. They were never designed by the Lord to deal with the effects of long-term trauma, cumulative stress mm. and in the product of sin. Um, so we have to start there. We have to look at what's called temperament, which is our inborn. It's what makes us different, just like a fingerprint from everybody else. Uh, you know, we prove that on, in secular circles by studying twins. Uh, you have uh, 99% shared DNA, same environment, same stimulus, everything. But yet we see twins are very, very different from birth. One wants to be swaddled. One does not. One is Mm. rambunctious, one is not, one is social, one has anxiety. You know, that's just God's sense of humor saying, hey, look, you know, how much more do I have to show you to prove that this is true? Uh, The second stage is our attachment styles that we develop, and that starts early on from birth to three years old. And our attachment styles are based on those that are supposed to nurture, care, and love for us. 
And so we need to understand that if we're in an abusive household, whether it's neglect or sexual abuse or physical or, or verbal, whatever it is, that affects our attachment style. And that basically is a developmental problem. Uh, and we end up, you know, having trouble with relationships forever because of that. If we don't nip it in the bud and understand who we are and experience healing, um, what better way to get healed, but by the great physician, the one that designed us, he's the engineer, he's the architect, uh, as far as medication, pharmacological options and therapy, I believe that these are tools. Uh, I believe that God equips individuals to help other people. And it's just another tool uh, that God uses to help others. I, I prefer to see folks like myself out there that they're actually experiencing total healing by helping others. I really believe that that's the beautiful wow. model that God has put out there is our validation, our pain turning into purpose as we heal is, hey, you know, God has given me the opportunity to to come beside an individual and, and maybe I can do something to save them uh, some of the suffering that maybe I went through. Maybe we can maybe we can lessen this. Maybe we can prevent some of this. Uh, so mm. that's a beautiful thing. So is that something that you would actively pursue with everybody that comes your way is um, as part of the healing process, the restoration process, the recovery process is to find some sort of a practical way for the person that's dealing with whatever that, you know, whatever that challenge is to find some way to have a, a physical or a practical outworking for um, helping somebody else or pouring into someone else's life? Is that something that you just do across the board with everybody? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you, I, I believe that each person, as we go through the healing process, that is part of it. Uh, I definitely try to get folks to a point where uh, the tools that we're giving them, they're able to utilize that not only for themselves, but also to help those around them. Uh, that's why I believe heavily in support groups especially peer support groups. Uh, the only issue with that in, in some of your circles with military and law enforcement and first responders is that you still have a level of stigma and fear and people don't mm. want to open up. Uh, there are some tremendous programs out there. Uh, Reboot Combat Recovery is a faith-based program. Uh, they now have a program called First Line that is for first responders. And I have taught many of those 12-week uh, courses, and that is a great way uh, to get people to open up and be vulnerable and to experience healing. Uh, it also, the premise behind it too, which I strongly believe in, is that that 2.7%, <clears throat> we need to understand that we've nailed this thing to the wall. It's a PCL5 form, okay? There's, there's two symptoms. If you're having intrusive thoughts or nightmares, guess what? We are drinking the same Kool-Aid. So okay. why can't we have a support system that might be a fireman and a dispatcher and a nurse and a corrections officer? Because we still see that out there. I've been on calls before uh, to do hot washes, you know, and we've had first responders at that call right on scene and you still see the segregation. You know, fire is over here, law enforcement's right. over here. Like there's still a little bit of a separation there. And so I, I really believe that that's part of it as well is that we've got to unify this population and, you know, it could also be a, a victim of sexual assault or rape. It doesn't matter. It's somebody mm. that's dealing with post-traumatic stress. We're all dealing with the same symptoms. <clears throat> so it doesn't matter how you got there. 
it, the point is, is that you're there and you need a support system of like-minded individuals that understand uh, completely and intimately what you're going through. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing is, I, I think you, you talked a little bit about the different <clears throat> makeup of different people, the way people are made up differently, their DNA is different, the way that people have different personalities. And then, of course, we all have different experiences in life. And someone like yourself, who you you mentioned that, you know, you experienced an abusive childhood and, you know, things of that nature. So there's different things that we all go through that really work together to shape the way that we think and the way that we see things, the way that we respond to things. And so when we talk about, you know, people that are in some kind of a crisis, right? So again, if we're talking about uh, PTS, if we're talking about, uh, you know, someone who's gone through, who's been victimized in some way, either through rape or through some other form of abuse or whatever the case may be, um, every everybody because of like the individual person's perspective they're going to have a certain response to that like the the worst thing that i've gone through in my life is the worst thing that i've gone through in my life right. someone else might go through something that was worse than the worst thing that i've ever gone through but to them they were able to deal with it differently and it didn't affect them the way that it would have affected me because maybe of again of their upbringing or because of the way their mind works it works differently than mine and so um, anyway, I, I guess what I'm wondering is like, because you mentioned stigma and I, when we talk about mental health, we talk about different things. There really there really is a, a lot of um, stigma, I think, attached to these different things. How important have you come to find is empathy? And just like as a basic human response to people and what they might be going through, because I think sometimes we might look at somebody and there could be this thing of like, oh, well, you just got to get over that or, you know, you just got to do this or you just got to and like try to like regiment certain things to people. In other words, I feel like there could be a lot of insensitivity to people in general. And, you know, granted, we're not all people that are um, first responders. We're not all people that are trained to counsel. We're not all people that are, you know, but I think that on some level as human beings, like we should all have a desire to at the very least empathize with people and to be there for those that are in our lives that are friends of ours or people that we know, or, you know, when those opportunities arise and, and we have an opportunity to be there for a friend who's in crisis or, be, but I, I just think that so often we can overlook things, we can shrug things off, we can sweep things under the rug, we can ignore things because we don't have a true concept and we can't have a true con a perfect concept of what that person is going through and how their mind is interpreting what they're going through. So first of all, how important is empathy and how can we learn how to have better empathy for lack of better words. Like how can we learn how to empathize more with the people around sure. us and be there and, and be a support for people that, that need us that maybe they don't even have the words to articulate that they need help or they need somebody, or maybe they're in shame, but you know what I mean? And, and like all these sure. different things that happen and um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's start, let's, let's use the Bible as an example. Uh, let's start with Job, you know, his friends, were actually doing a really good job until yeah. they opened their mouths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but believe it or not, ministry of presence is, is a form Huge. of empathy. If, yeah. if you can just sit with someone 
and let them experience the emotions that they're going through and just to not be alone. Um, I think about Jesus in the garden. Really, his only desire was, can you guys just stay awake and pray with me? Because he was about to deal with some some really tough stuff. And really, sure. he just he didn't want to be alone. He wanted them to be awake, to be in prayer. Um, that was a form of empathy that Jesus needed. Uh, speaking of Jesus, he's obviously an empath. Uh, you know, the shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. Uh, he, he's going to bring back Lazarus. He knows that he's going to do this miracle, but yet he was overcome with emotion because the family was crying. Everybody was sad. He was overcome with that. So I believe that God expects us to have some form of empathy. I, I just I don't believe that we can even uh, follow the two main premises of what Christ teaches. You know, we have to love the mm. Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're going to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, then we're going to have to learn to be empaths because we are to love one another. Uh, you know, they tell new Christians, read the book of John, the gospel of John, right? Because it's the book of love. We first have to understand love and how deep that is. Some of the greatest mm. scripture out of the Bible comes from the book of John. Um, Greater hath no love than to lay down one's life for their friends. You know, we, we have to think of scripture uh, like that that's that powerful. So learning how to have empathy, the first thing is, is we need to understand that we don't have to fix someone. <clears throat> we can simply sit with them and be present uh, in their time of need, and that can be a tremendous asset to them. Um, we see uh, as a QPR instructor, I go around and I teach suicide prevention uh, to a lot of folks. And one of the things that we teach is it's very simple. Um, ask the question. You know, are you are you suicidal? Do you want to hurt yourself? You got to ask the question. And the cliche statement is that people are dying to talk to you. It, it literally is the truth. People are yeah. are completing suicides because they desperately just needed to talk to someone, get some things off their their chest, and to understand hope. And a big part of of suicide prevention, believe it or not, is just being present with someone getting them assimilated to the proper resources. But the number one thing is that they're not alone. Um, hmm. there, you know, there was, there was some people uh, that actually survived. There was four individuals that uh, survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, believe it or not. And, and I truly believe that was the Lord that saved them. But all four of them said the same thing. The very first thing that they thought when they jumped off was, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Instant regret, right? Yeah. Right. So, so that's how quick these crises are. And, and you know, I look at society and, and what we talk about, and we talk about some pretty disgusting stuff openly. You know, now we're talking about uh, minor attracted people. So basically, we're, right. we're, even, we're mm -hmm. even at the point now where we're trying to make pedophilia okay. And, and this yeah. is the kind of crap that we're talking about out here that, you know, the devil's just having a ball, but we still don't want to talk about mental health. We still don't want to talk about right. depression and anxiety and suicide. We it, it's, it makes people uncomfortable and that's why they don't want to talk about it. We, we have this innate fear within us that, oh no, if, if I do the wrong thing or I say the wrong thing, I might make things worse. And that totally is just 
not fact at all. It is ex- absolute fiction. Um, wow. So, so empathy is critical. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't think it matters where you are in life. If we can learn to just be present with people where they are, and it's like you said, there's different levels of trauma. It doesn't matter if if someone else's trauma looks like something small to me. It's their trauma, yes. and if they exactly. are dealing with it yeah. and experiencing it, it's theirs. Um, and you have to understand that it's no different from yours. If it's affecting them the same way that it's affecting you, uh, you know, it's clinical. Yeah. God has these amazing ways of revealing things. The more that we seek for truth, God's like, okay, we're, we're going to invent spec imaging, you know? So then we start looking at brains and we're like, whoa, this person's brain is active in different spots. And we can actually see that parts of the brain, like the amygdala and the hypothalamus have shrunk. So that connotates injury, right? So we heal from injury. So, you know, we're actually proving scientifically that we can experience healing. The problem is, is that this is a major monetary problem. Okay. We do not want to call this an injury, right? Because we're going to have to start paying for it. Right. So it, it becomes a big monetary issue. But when we're talking to people that have PTSD and stress, we have to help them understand that you can experience healing because we don't choose these vocations uh, for fun. I I truly believe that you're crafted to be that individual that can run towards the enemy or run towards the fire or run into danger for a complete and total stranger. Uh, You know, where's your motivation? You know, we are a selfish society. (laughs) You know, we're not selfless. We're generally selfish. We're born that way. As a baby, it's all about you, right? Change my diaper, give me milk, whatever. So for these folks to have that within them, um, you know, even at the the genome, the genome level, you know, we're starting to see this this pattern in chromosomes now. And, you know, they they don't want to say that there's a first responder gene, but there truly is a first responder Hmm. gene. But, but the point that you're making is exactly right. We, you know, we have to learn to just be present with people and be with them where they are. And, and the impact you can make just by doing that is unbelievable. It's not even measurable. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the most um, maybe just detrimental things, I mean, other than the actual deaths that took place, but throughout this past two years where we've been, you know, with the whole pandemic and as a pastor and, you know, like with all of the the separation that took place as far as personal one-on-one contact. And, you know, we can build relationship over the phone and stuff like that, but it's not the same as being in the same room with people, sitting down with people, going to lunch with people. And I think that for the most part, most things are back to normal. But I think that there's been engraved within people a little bit of a trepidation toward you know, the closeness, maybe, you know, you're not as apt to hug people or embrace people as you once were and different things like that, where, you know, over the past 18 months or so, it it just seems like human contact and connection has been affected. And that's such a that's such a huge contributor, I think, to the overall mental health of people. And and uh, just as you were talking, I remembered yesterday I was looking at this um, I just came across this post. I think it was on LinkedIn and it was this man. And, you know, you see a post on the Internet and you never know, uh, you know, how real it is or if it was invented or, you know, whatever. But I don't know what the motivation would be to make up something like this. But it was a um, a guy had 
stepped onto the other side of of the railing of a of a bridge and he was going to commit suicide um he was going to jump off so he's standing on the outside you know basically holding on to the the, the, in other words, the railing was behind him and he's hanging over the edge, holding on to it, standing on a on a small ledge on the other side of the railing. And uh, he's, you know, about to jump off or thinking about jumping off. And apparently some people that that happened to see what was going on, they they ran to him and they just grabbed him like through the through the, the slots in the railings. There, there's this picture and and it by the time the picture was taken, there were a whole bunch of people. It wasn't, I think it started with one or two people that saw him. And then by the time the picture was taken that I saw, there were probably a couple dozen people standing around this guy. And you see all these arms, like just like at different levels and they're embracing him. They're holding on to him. And according to the caption, wow. it said that they held on to this man for an hour until professional first responder, you know, type individuals were able to, to arrive. In other yeah. words, they didn't just, they didn't just, stand there and talk him down or pull him back over or they, but they embraced him. They held on to yeah. him until the proper authorities, until the proper help arrived. And it was such a moving picture because it just showed me, you know, people that are total strangers that did not know this guy, but were willing to just stand there and hold on to this guy literally for dear life for an hour until people were able to come and to, you know, handle the situation, assess the situation and deal with it properly. I was so moved by that because that's an extreme situation, but I think that 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 that's a really good just illustration and example of the way that we're supposed to be in Christ. I mean, I I don't know if any of those people were Christians or not Christians or whatever. Like, there's a there's a thing about you know basic humanity and loving people, but even more so as believers, as those of us who have come to know the love of Christ. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, "They'll know you're my disciples how by your love for one another." Right. And how 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 often are God's people known or recognized by other things, by our intolerance to certain things, by, you know, all these different things. Right. But yeah. when we're truly known by love because we've been transformed by his love and so we can give that love away to others. I just thought that that was such a such a cool picture of um people just willing to embrace somebody who's going through something that they don't understand. And just that, that willingness, I think walking through life with people, whether they're people that we know or they're total strangers, but having that willingness to serve those around us by coming alongside. And as you said, sometimes it's literally just sitting with somebody and not saying anything. And I think that that's something that scares a lot of people uh, away from these kinds of conversations and these kinds of interactions with people is, well, I don't know what to say. And as you even mentioned, what if I make it worse? I think that that's just like this twisted fear that the enemy uses to keep us from, you know, what really matters in life. I mean, your job is important. You know, the work you do, the like, like these things are important. But what is life really all about? It's about that's people. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so that willingness to kind of step outside of our comfort zone and to just embrace people again on whatever level that is, whether it's something that's literally life and death or maybe it's not as serious as that. But I but I promise you and, and, I, and I don't know, like it was just a picture that I saw. But I mean, who knows the impact just like Absolutely. all these changes, you know, that for whatever reason, this man thought that his life was over. He thought that his life was not worth living and at the very least. 
he's got to be questioned, you know, after an event like that, where all these people that he didn't even know were willing to demonstrate their love for a total stranger by just embracing him and holding on until someone arrived that could really help. Um, right. What would that have done to that? That's what I keep thinking about. Like, what did yeah. that do to that guy? What did that do to his mind? What did that do yeah. to bring, you know, a change to the, to his thinking and to his heart, you know? Yeah. It gave him hope. Yeah. It gave him hope and hope is, hope is yeah. the most important ingredient, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and that actually is a, a true story. Uh, and okay. uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It well, is a true story and it, and it's a beautiful one because media tends to capture only the bad stuff. And for uh, that to be covered in that way, I thought was a, a wonderful thing because there is a lot of good that happens and we just don't see it. Uh, we don't hear about it because I guess it's not entertaining. Right. You know, um, but there is good stuff out there. Well, fear, I think you already, you mentioned this a few minutes ago or something related to this, the, so much, so much of media is fear-based, you know, right? <laughs> because you can get whatever it is, you can get clicks, you can get views by being negative, by, by pushing a fear agenda. And we've seen that just constant nonstop over this past couple of years dealing with the pandemic. And of course, before that as well, but um, just the, the agenda to push fear um and uh yeah it's so rare that you actually see a news story that's positive <laughs> yeah um and it's unfortunate but um i mean that's would you say that that even right there i mean that seems like that's probably a major contributor to the way people feel to stress oh, levels you know you work all day and then yeah. you get home you know you're battling traffic you're sitting in a cubicle you know you're battling traffic you're getting home then you turn on the news and it's devastation in front of your yeah. face yeah, you know? absolutely. It, it definitely affects our, our psyche for sure. Um, you know, the devil has a lot of tools at his disposal as technology increases, the more that he has to use against us. Um, I think about, uh, you know, with my three teenagers at home and, and the battle with the phones and the electronics and, you know, and then you, you get a handle on mm -hmm. it. Uh, you know, of course, our teenagers are, are geniuses when it comes to that. So they're running circles around good old dad, you know, and then we finally get it figured out. And then you send them to school and then they give them Chromebooks. And then you find out there's really nothing I can do yeah. to monitor this Chromebook because it's controlled by the school. So, you know, the devil just has all of these tools at his disposal. And, you know, you were you were talking about the, the isolation and the lack of physical contact. We have to look at the stats if we want to really you know people need tangible things okay i'll throw it out there okay it's up 40 percent across the board suicide okay 40 percent since the pandemic it's unacceptable um we want to you know the silver lining out of 20 years in afghanistan and and all this time in iraq is that we're finally looking at veterans mental health but yet same problem how many treatment models are we going to go through? And we still have 22 suicides a day. And it's actually 23. It's 22 plus one. So this isn't changing. You know, we, we're, we're coming out, you know, everybody wants to do a dissertation and get their PhD. And so they come up with STAIR or cognitive processing therapy or, you know, there's all these different things. But we are still not getting to the root of the problem. And that is hope. Uh, you know, yeah. and one of the interesting things is Duke University actually has a model that is basically it's called religious based cognitive behavioral therapy. Even Duke with with all of these atheists 
uh, scientists are, are looking at this and they're saying, wow, you know, well, even if there isn't a God, this sure is working better. You know, you, wow. you're getting a 65 to a 70% success rate with that model of uh, CBT as opposed to non-faith models. So you cannot ignore the evidence, whether you believe or not. Uh, it's just like Lee Strobel with the case for Christ. You know, he went all mm -hmm. over the world to disprove Christ. And all he did was prove it to himself <laughs> and to the world. Uh, so, you yeah. know, th this is how God works. You know, this is exactly how he works. But it, it truly is a tool of the devil. Um, you know, we call isolation an unhealthy coping mechanism, right? You know, that's sure. one of those. Oh, we isolate. That's a negative coping mechanism. Okay, but we don't realize that really for two years we've isolated. You know, we, we have literally even people that might have had fairly good mental health are suffering from depression and anxiety and yeah. these things. Yeah. And then we have to look chemically, you know, the way that God designed us, we release endorphins when we're affectionate to one another. OK, so when you're getting that hug at, uh, from your brother at church and, and you're feeling that warmth and all of these things, we're actually releasing positive endorphins that counteract the bad hormones like cortisol wow. and stuff like that. So, yep. you know. God knew exactly what he was doing, but, you know, we need to realize that uh, the devil knows our playbook better than anyone. He knows uh, our biblical scripture better than all of us. And that's why mm. we have to constantly be in our word and constantly uh, validating uh, God's word in our lives uh, and holding it close. Yeah, you know what? I I remember... It might have been a little over a year ago, maybe closer to two years ago. Uh, it was at the beginning, I think, of the of the pandemic or, you know, some somewhere around there. I I had heard about this study that they had done, and I wish I could remember the, the specific details because it was really interesting. But they they took this particular tribe from a you know different part of the world who they would look at they would look at this tribe and they were incredibly you know healthy people that that were living very very long lives like overall like their average lifespan it was way higher than you know the normal of what it would be in our country or in many other countries around the world and they were uh, you know people that had very few you know long-term chronic health conditions and things of that nature and they looked at them and, and they studied like the top 10 things that were contributing to their overall health and long life and longevity and the top two so uh, out of a list of 10 the top two contributors were both social it was you know the 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 strength of your relationships and something else but they were it, it they both had to do with it, it didn't have to do with exercise it wasn't the kind of food you eat those were like probably four five six and seven on the list if i remember correctly but like one and two were social things of being in relationship being in community with people being able to express your ideas and to show love and to show support and to show empathy and, and those kinds of things that really make us human right <laughs> like and, and, and i just think you know so much of this past couple of years was just like go inside stay away from people you know, mask up, no one can see your face, like all this, all this stuff that that we did to create all this separation. And that's an incredible statistic that you just mentioned right there, 40% increase yes. um, across across the board in suicide. And the other thing is that um, the suicide is becoming younger and younger, correct? Would you yes. would you agree with that? That yes. it's at, it, yeah, one of the leading, if not the leading yeah, cause of I've death for that. young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. 
I, I was just going to say, you know, I can absolutely validate that because uh, a couple of years ago, um, I worked a, a nine-year-old and uh, it just, you know, it, it blew my mind. At the time, my youngest was the same age and, and wow. went to school with the kid and um, it really touched me, Be you know, because at nine years old, your brain should not even be processing that kind of stuff. And then the, the method right. as well was a very thought out, it, it wasn't a spur of the moment thing. Um, mm. and, and so, yes, um, we are, honestly, we are doing bad things to our children. And a lot of it is societal, but we also see it in school as well. All you have to do is look at some of the family life curriculum that's out there now. Uh, we've been fortunate to live in a county where we can opt out, and and we always have. Um, we've always opted out of that because we should not be telling kids in kindergarten, uh, you know, about masturbation and things like that. This is what's happening out there. So we are over-sexualizing our kids, which, you know, what does God say about that? He did not give us that for the reasons that society uses it. It was meant to be a gift between a man and a woman, mm. the ultimate yeah. gift, the ultimate expression of love. Um, when, when we make love with our, our spouses, we literally are releasing the same hormones that a mother does bonding with her infant. That is how powerful it is. That is what God did to design that relationship when he says to become one flesh. And so we are over-sexualizing our kids, which absolutely is putting stress on their brains that are really not designed to deal with this. You know, we, yeah. we know from psychology, there is no argument whether you believe in God or not. These are the facts that your the frontal part of your brain is not really firing on all cylinders until early 20s. And that's sure. why we see 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, you know, we were that age. We, we made some dumb choices, and it's because you were not thinking the whole thing out. We made emotional Absolutely. decisions or we made quick decisions based on how we felt. And that's because honestly, our brain really wasn't even working uh, 100% anyway. Uh, so it's developmental. Um, that's one of the things that's putting this on kids. We also are seeing what happens with the stress in the home. Okay. We, we leak, whether you try to hide it or not, you leak the stress. And yeah. we subconsciously, even if we're trying to be the best mom and dad out there and we're not abusive parents, we still actually leak that to our kids. They can feel the anxiety, the tension, the stress, body language, uh, all of these things. You know, that, that's wow. one of the things I work with first responder families on is helping them understand that you're spending so much energy trying to keep this away from your family, but you're actually doing more damage because they don't know what's going on with dad or mom and, and actually teaching them as a family. Uh, of course you have to have boundaries. You know, you're not going to come home and tell your five-year-old about a, a gruesome motor vehicle accident, but sure. you can tell them, Hey, you know, daddy uh, or mommy worked a call and it was very, very stressful. Unfortunately, a, a young person uh, went to be with Jesus. And so they can understand that the reason why you're stressed and you're having an, an emotional reaction is because a child or, or someone, you know, went to be with Jesus. So 
you're given the kids the ability to be part of your experience, but, but in a positive way, which reduces their stress tremendously. And then with the spouses, the same thing, you know, your, your spouse wants to be connected with you. And we see a lot of the time that there's a huge disconnect because you're trying to protect them from the evil mm. that you see in the world. And, yeah. and so that's important that we learn that we can allow people in, we can allow them to be part of things and we can still protect them. We don't have to give them the gruesome details, but it helps them get inside our head. And, you know, they tend to appreciate and love and have even more pride in what you do uh, based on what, you know, you're carrying around. And then they get to be a part of your support system and a part of the good part of your life. Wow. So Joe is, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Are you saying that, so as a, as a father, I have, um, I have two, I have two sons and, uh, and we have a, a little girl on the way, but as a father, um, if I'm, and not, not that any of us is doing all of the right things, but if I'm doing all the right things and saying all the right things, I'm saying things that are nurturing and you know, all this stuff, but, but internally I'm stressed out all the time. And I might not even articulate that to my children in words, but are you saying that more than likely they're picking up on that on some level? And if I don't deal with that, that I can actually be contributing to setting them up for, you know, unneeded stress or, you know, uh, mental health issues and things of that nature? A absolutely. We, we may not cause them actual <clears throat> you know, mental health issues, but uh -huh. they do experience distress based on our stress. And we also have to remember that really up until the age of five, especially, they are looking at us on how to deal with stress themselves and how to deal with emotional things. So they're watching, you know, how does dad handle this? How does mom handle this? So we can unconsciously cause them distress by holding things in, uh, by, uh, you know, being standoffish. You know, we do a lot of things subconsciously when we're ruminating on things. Mm -hmm. and, and really, all they need to know is that dad or mom is okay. They don't need any details. We got to think of a, of a childlike brain. You know, that's why, why does God tell us? Why did Jesus say, I want you to come to me as a child? And it's mm -hmm. because of the innocence there. And we're not thinking about all of this stuff. So we have to think about how their little brains work. And, and the main thing is, is they see dad or mom acting a little different. And what they need to know is, I don't have anything to do with that. Because, you know, th yeah. this is their environment. These are their boundaries. You're their nurturer. You know, you're, you're the one who cares for them. So the main thing is, is your child needs to know that, hey, dad or mom's not upset with me. I haven't done anything wrong. So a very brief explanation. Um, and usually they just go on off about their business, you know, and as they get older, then you're able to disclose a little bit more sure. based on their maturity. Yeah. But I see, especially with the little ones, all they need to know is dad's not upset with me. Okay. <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. And then they're off vroom vroom with their cars again. They could care less. Um, wow. So it's not this huge elaborative process that you have to do. It's mainly just uh, giving them assurance uh, and security in themselves. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as they get older, we, we have to show them, we have to model 
the healthiest possible way to deal with tragedy and experience uh, of trauma and things like that. And that mm -hmm. gives them a, a tremendous leg up uh, because there's going to come times when they're going to experience these things. And part of that that you've instilled in them based on how you did it is going to be critical uh, in helping them be more resilient and everything else. Man, you know, that's something that I I battle with a lot in in my mind and, and as a as a father, as a parent is. You know, I want to prepare you for life. I want to set you up for success. I don't want you to be ignorant about things. And I also don't want you learning about things from the wrong sources. At the same time, amen. I want to protect your innocence for as long as possible. <laughs> so sort of like yes, that amen. tension Absolutely. as a parent, you know what I mean? Of, sure. and, and in every area, yeah. you know, in, in all kinds of areas. And um, yeah, it's uh, the, 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 the thing, though, the thing is, though, like our kids are definitely under attack and it's a i believe it's a systematic it's a, it's a programmed attack that's against our, our children you know i i had a guest um on a, a while back who talked about uh we were we were talking about the sexualization of of children and uh she she just brought this up and just a stupid example but there's this um there's this cartoon it's a danish cartoon about this uh and it's it's animated it's a cartoon it's like a claymation type thing but it's like this man with a this like 20 foot long penis and the penis it's all animated of course but like it's just involved in you know doing these things and like but there's all these children there's always children around and like you know he'll be like holding and like stealing like a little kid's ice cream cone with it. like it's like the dumbest like stupidest thing and their response is, no, this isn't sexual. This is just this or this is whatever. And there's like all this spin that gets put on stuff, I think, to sure. systematically make us more and more desensitized to things Absolutely. that our children are not, as you said, their their frontal lobe, like their mind, their brains are not equipped to be processing all of this stuff that we're putting on them. And so right. I guess I'm going to ask you a pretty weighted question here. But like, what do you think? Are, I don't know, maybe there's a general rule of thumb or maybe just uh, a personal perspective or philosophy that you have as a father um, or even as a minister, um, however you want to you want to sort of, uh, you know, tackle this question. But like the balance between those things, the balance between, OK, I, I want to protect and defend your innocence on this hand. But on this hand, there's all this stuff that's out there. And right. It's going to make its way into your ears, into your life, you know, and I, I don't want you Amen. like I I discovered some things as a very young kid that, you know, I wasn't equipped for, you know, pornography and just like, you know, starting off with like pornographic, yes. just images, just pictures, um, yep. magazines that, you know, kids just get their hands on. And, you know, as a like as a five and six year old kid, um, I was already like being exposed to um some pretty intense things for yeah. a child you know what i mean and absolutely it's um yeah it's it's hard for me to wrap yeah. my head around these things sometimes but it is something that i think sure. about a lot i feel like yeah. i tend to go more toward the side of overexposure on certain issues <laughs> because i feel like if it's as long as it's coming from if it's coming from me in a protected environment it's sure. probably it's definitely better than them just hearing it from their friends or from, 
you know, Absolutely. a source that doesn't actually know what they're talking about. But anyway, just just curious if you'd go a little bit deeper on your thoughts. on that. Yeah, um, you know, you, you're actually on the right track, uh, honestly. <clears throat> Whether we look at this as a dad, and we look at this, uh, uh, you know, being trained in psychology, ministry, whatever it is, we go back to temperament. You have to look at your individual child, especially, and where is their maturity mm. level? Um, and yeah. You know, all three of mine are distinctly different. And, you know, we had to have the birds and the bees talk at different times. Um, mm -hmm. You also have to gauge, like you said, what are they hearing and what are they being exposed to? My oldest daughter, there was not so much of this smartphone stuff and Instagrams and all of this stuff. Whereas my two younger right. ones, there's much more exposure there. Uh, so you have to look at what are they being exposed to, like you said, and I agree with you 100%. We have got to be proactive and not reactive. Mm. And, you know, we need to explain to them, look, you're going to hear X, Y, Z, but I want you to hear it from mom and dad. I want you to hear it in a biblical way and how God intended it, because some of this stuff could be distressing to you, especially if, you know, you're like I am apparently, and we've done everything we can to shelter our kids. So when we have a kid that we've kept innocent as long as we can, and then they go into family life class, they're like, they're horrified. You know, what is <laughs> yeah. this? Uh, I'll never forget my son. Um, I guess he was 10 years old and he was mad at me. And I'm like, what's wrong? You know, Joe Jr. You know, I'm like, what's wrong, Joe, Joey? And, and finally he opens up and he's like, you did not tell me about such and such. Well, I had read the, you know, the curriculum and mm -hmm. went down the list and tried to give him an explanation of everything that was going to be on there. Little did I know the teacher decides to talk about some other things that weren't on that list. Okay. And he literally was traumatized. He was like, you know, you didn't tell me about this and this. And he was upset about it. So on one hand, you're like, woohoo, I did a good job because he was innocent. But at the second token, you're like, this kind of stinks because I didn't want him to have to experience it that way and, and literally mm. be very upset about it. And then you realize from a parental point of view um, that we really are in, in a spiritual battle. We're in the fight uh, of our lives, yeah. especially as men of God. Yeah. Um, where can the devil hurt you and I? He's going to go after our family. He can hurt mm. us by trying to hurt our children. Um, and, and that's, you know, he doesn't want you to do this podcast. He doesn't want you to preach. He doesn't want you to bring the truth. So, you know, he's going to go after your family. We, we need to realize that. And so we have to tap in what to the Holy Spirit. You know, we have to tap into the supernatural power that God gives us to to raise our kids and to uh, be there for them. Uh, but you're exactly right. It, it is a tremendous balance it is literally juggling with the way that society is now on what do i expose them to what do i talk to them about um how do i do it you know how do i do it in a biblical way uh mm. it, it's tough and so we have to remember more more often than not because you know even as men of god we still forget sometimes to pray without ceasing we really do sometimes right. we yeah we rely on this, you know, I've got all of this knowledge and I've got a PhD and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, Oh, dag on it. I, I need to pray. Come on. You know, I need God to, to give me the yeah. words because this, this textbook was written by a man or a woman or whatever, but it was written in flesh. And so we have to realize that we need supernatural guidance with our kids uh, because it, it is a supernatural battle that they're in and it gets worse. It gets worse daily. It seems like, 
Um, you know, we had a, we live in a, a very, we worked very hard to get into a rural county with good schools. And just last week, you know, we, we had a seventh grader assault a teacher, you know, and then they found drugs in his locker. And this is seventh grade. And I'm like, my goodness, you know, my youngest is in seventh grade. I'm like, ah, you know, so y- you can panic easily as a dad yeah. too, you know, yeah. but uh, it, it's just being conscious of, of hmm. what's around, but, you know, but then you realize that you're, you're not doing a bad job because my youngest is so salty, you know, you know, she's like a salty old sailor on the sea or something. She was just like, <laughs> yeah, that kid's a dummy. You know, that kid's an idiot you know, just kind of blew it off. And yeah. so I was like, okay, yeah. well, right. she's got it handled. <laughs> well, Hey man, what you ju- what you said about, uh, your, your son, I think you said he was 10 at the time and yeah. when he went through that family life class yeah. and, um, ended up, you know, being traumatized by certain things, uh, and being mad with you for not sharing everything. What I loved about that was the fact that he came in and articulated that to you. Yeah. Uh, that and, right and it there, took a little to bit speaks... to get it out of him. Yeah, but he did. Okay. But I mean, to me, that speaks volumes. You know, um, I, I think that that's such an important aspect of of parenting is is fostering that that confidence and that openness to allow our kids to be able to speak to us, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. uh, s- some of what you just said right now, I, I feel like um, I, I just want to mention this because I feel like that it would be potentially so foreign to a lot of parents out there and their way of thinking in terms of having that sort of close communication with our kids because of the fact that they, you know, like maybe because of their upbringing, you know, we tend to parent based on our upbringing, you know, either we, we yeah. kind of fall into the same ruts or we try to go completely the opposite depending on what the situation was like. <laughs> That's but right. There tends, That's to, right. There, there tends to be correlations there. Right. So absolutely. Um, yeah. And you know, like, there's for me like i remember when my parents brought up it was actually it was actually my mom she brought up the the birds and the bees conversation and i unfortunately like unbeknownst to her like i had already you know experienced a lot as i said like like um had some knowledge like very convoluted knowledge but i knew but i knew some stuff but right. i was so ashamed of it even at that young age that i i didn't want her to know that and so i sure. just kind of like got through it as quickly as i possibly could and it was awkward you know what i mean and uh and i feel like that was the extent a lot of people from my generation and maybe you know your generation as well like kind of growing up with little to no substance there in terms of that parental conversation and discussion and who are now today parents raising their own kids and faced with a different world than we had back then right and you know that sort of what you were just talking there about um you know that ability to have those conversations and discussions with your kids i just imagine that there are people that there are parents out there who that just seems like a foreign concept and the reason i'm even bringing this up is because i know that like it's not always the easiest thing in the world to listen to a conversation like we're having right now and to say, oh, well, that's a better way of doing things. Let me just flip right. that switch and start doing it that way. It's like once you've started a relationship, especially I feel like with your kids down a certain path, you can see that there's a more clear way through the swamp. Like you can see that there's a better way to build this relationship. But 
it's tricky. Like it, it, it feels almost there, there can be this almost sense of hopelessness when you've started a relationship down a certain path and you start to recognize, oh, well, there's probably a better way that I could be doing this. But it's not always the easiest thing in the world to understand, no. like how no. to switch course and change directions. And so, yeah, that, that's the only reason why I, I wanted to bring that up, because wherever anybody is with all of this kind of stuff and whatever, you keep talking about hope. And I just want to say, like, there is always, always hope, like no matter how bleak it right. looks or difficult it looks or challenging it looks. If it's a process that takes years to walk through, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is that we're, we've talked, we've kind of run the gamut and talked about some different things here. But um, the overall thing that I keep hearing from you is just the, that simple truth that there is always, always hope. And uh, I just right. think that's so important, you know. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, Joe, man, I really do. I, I've really enjoyed our time together. It's a pleasure just getting to know you. This is our first, <laughs> our first real conversation here. Absolutely. And, uh, I've, yeah. uh, I hope we can do it again. I would, I would love to do it. I would love that too. I would love that too. And, uh, yeah, again, thank you so much. I, I, I just want to, before we wrap up here officially, um, is there anywhere that you would just uh, point somebody who's maybe interested in either connecting with you further and your ministries and, uh, you know, your counseling and things of that nature, or um, maybe even just general, you know, things that people sure. can do to find out more about some of these things that we've been talking about. Ab absolutely. Uh, if you look up Project Paladin, and uh, I can certainly share some links. Uh, if you look on uh we have a LinkedIn page. We have a Facebook page. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel is uh, kind of sort of like what we just did here. Um, 20 to 30 minute videos where, you know, I just talk about some things that, you know, they're on my heart and I think people need to hear. Uh, that's basically mm -hmm. what the YouTube channel is. Uh, we, we've kind of run the whole gamut with that. We, we started with temperament and we're kind of going through the whole series of videos and, and just trying to help people understand who they are, yeah. why they are, who they are, uh, reiterating to them, like you said, that there is hope that we can, we can do this. We can make it that there is a God, <laughs> you know, as many people that try to disprove him, there is a God out there that does love us. He did create us. Um, some of us did not get the winning poker hand. Okay. But that's mm. fine because come on in the end we win and, uh, we need to understand that he crafted us to be who we are because there's people like us that are only going to experience healing and validation from someone who knows what they've been through. Um, so, uh, mm. we have all absolutely been crafted for his purpose and for his will. And we all have an audience and we all have folks out there. He says that uh, there will not be one person that isn't reached out to by the Lord. And we need to understand that, you know, a drug addict that's, you know, think about a drug addict that's trying to get off drugs. You know, the, the greatest ally they can have is somebody that was a drug addict and through Jesus Christ and, you know, experienced healing and got off those drugs. So they can not only see that it's possible but they can see what that looks like on the other side of it. And, mm. and I truly believe that that's, you know, why God, you know, the, there's always that, that question, you know, why does God allow this? You know, it, it's free will. 
and sin is a, is a part of the world and there's consequences of sin. But God can make anything into something beautiful. And we just, you know, we have to glory just like Paul did. We have to glorify in some of these tribulations as much as we don't want to. Because when God turns it into something beautiful and you're allowed to help someone, it's an amazing thing. It is, it is far, the reward is just far worth uh, more than, than what you went through for sure. The reward is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He says, for these momentary light afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. And, uh, and uh, we didn't really have time to get into the details of it. I'd, I'd love to, you know, as we said, have you back on and, and maybe explore some of these things a little bit further. But you did mention the fact that, um, you know, your greatest, in your, in your opinion, in your mind, the greatest credential that you have for being in a position to help people today is what you went through, the trauma and the, the abuse and then, um, you know, other, other things that you've experienced throughout your life that uh, have, you know, put you in a position where you had to go through a process of healing and restoration and how all of that has worked together to mold you into the man of God that you are today, the counselor Amen. that you are today. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's always a beautiful thing when that happens, how God will take your situation, however bleak it looks. And again, coming back to it, that there is always hope, no matter how bad it looks, how dark it looks, how difficult or impossible even that it looks. God is such a God of restoration and redemption that he's able to take even the most difficult, traumatizing things. And, you know, this is a scripture verse that we throw around like a lot, probably, but it doesn't make it any less true that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love Amen. him and that are called according to his purpose. Amen. And uh, so that's a beautiful thing um, in yes, your life. Uh, so. Amen. Well, Dr. Joseph Caps, thank you again so, so much uh, for joining me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, again, let's let's definitely do it again. Yeah, I would love to. And uh, it's it's a wonderful thing that God put us together. I'm very grateful for that, that we met and had a chance to connect. Uh, enjoy your yeah, show shout very out much. To, shout out to our mutual friend, Karen Pennington. Absolutely. Uh, who yeah. I had on as a guest a little while back. And she brought yep. so much value. She's such an awesome person. And she, she, uh, she set and, this up. She connected us. And, and you know, it, once again, God's glory. You know, we we reconnected after about 15 years uh, because awesome. she had moved to, to New York and uh, – it was through tragedy, through a mutual loved one that passed away, mm -hmm. that we were able to reconnect again. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of it. God is like, look, we, we have this situation where we're laying this person to rest. But, hey, let me let me show you this masterpiece that that I'm painting here. So, yeah, absolutely grateful. Uh, she is definitely a, a wonderful Christian woman. Um so proud of uh you know where she's come from and what she's doing she she's a great example as well of what god does in people's lives so absolutely shout out to karen for sure and uh once again thank you so much for having me i enjoyed it very much sir yeah absolutely my pleasure uh well let me just say thank you to everybody who took the time to check out this episode whether you were here live or you checked it out later on one of the podcast platforms or one of the replays whatever really really appreciate you be sure and uh Check out some of those res uh, resources that um, that Dr. Joe was talking about, Project Paladin. Um, check out that YouTube channel. I'll make sure, uh, Dr. Joe, that we share some links as well, that I put some links in the show notes for the podcast for the, for the listeners, and that we'll make sure that we do that. So um, 
So yeah, make sure you check out some of those resources. And if uh, this episode blessed you or encouraged you and uh, you're interested in, in supporting this channel in one way or another, you can do that by subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review. I really, really appreciate you guys. All right. Well, Joe, thank you again, sir. Appreciate thank you. you. And uh, hope you have a Merry Christmas and you too. good you holiday too. season bless. and all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you.